Section 61 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. The World's Story, Volume 13. The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 61. The Broadcloth Mob of Boston, 1835. By Harriet Martineau. The author of this article was a well-known English woman who traveled in the United States in 1834. The editor. The abolitionists were warned that if they met again publicly, they would be answerable for the disorders that might ensue. The abolitionists pleaded that this was like making the rich man answerable for the crime of the thief who robbed him, on the ground that if the honest man had not been so rich, the thief would not have been tempted to rob him. The abolitionists also perceived how liberty of opinion and of speech depended on their conduct in this crisis, and they resolved to yield to no threats of illegal violence, but to hold their legal meeting, pursuant to advertisement, for the dispatch of their usual business. One remarkable feature of the case was that this heavy responsibility rested upon women. It was a ladies' meeting that was in question. Upon consultation, the ladies agreed that they should never have sought the perilous duty of defending liberty of opinion and speech at the last crisis but as such a service seemed manifestly appointed to them the women were ready on the twenty first of october they met pursuant to advertisement at the office of their association number forty six washington street twenty-five reached their room by going three-quarters of an hour before the appointed time five more made their way up with difficulty through the crowd a hundred more were turned back by the mob they knew that a handbill had been circulated on the exchange and posted on the city hall and throughout the city the day before which declared that thompson the abolitionist was to address them and invited the citizens under promise of pecuniary reward to snake thompson out and bring him to the tar kettle before dark the ladies had been warned that they would be killed as sure as fate if they showed themselves on their own premises that day. They therefore informed the mayor that they expected to be attacked. The reply of the city marshal was, You give us a great deal of trouble. The committee room was surrounded and gazed into by a howling, shrieking mob of gentlemen, while the twenty-five ladies sat perfectly still, awaiting the striking of the clock. When it struck, they opened their meeting. They were questioned as to whether Thompson were there in disguise, to which they made no answer. They began as usual with prayer, the mob shouting, Hurrah! Here comes Judge Lynch! Before they had done, the partition gave way, and the gentlemen hurled missiles at the lady who was presiding. The secretary, having risen and begun to read her report, rendered inaudible by the uproar, the mayor entered and insisted on their going home to save their lives the purpose of their meeting was answered they had asserted their principle 
and they now passed out two and two amidst the execration of some thousands of gentlemen persons who had silver shrines to protect the ladies to the number of fifty walked to the house of one of their members and were presently struck to the heart by the news that garrison was in the hands of the mob garrison is the chief apostle of abolition in the united states he had escorted his wife to the meeting and after offering to address the ladies and being refused out of regard to his safety had left the room and as they supposed the premises he was however in the house when the ladies left it he was hunted for by the mob dragged from behind some planks where he had taken refuge footnote garrison was determined to face the mob but was finally persuaded that he ought to avoid capture as long as possible End of footnote. and conveyed into the street here his hat was trampled underfoot and brickbats were aimed at his bare head a rope was tied round him and thus he was dragged through the streets his young wife saw all this her exclamation was i think my husband will not deny his principles her confidence was just garrison never denied his principles he was saved by a stout truckman who with his bludgeon made his way into the crowd as if to attack the victim he protected the bare head and pushed on toward a station house whence the mayor's office issued and pulled in garrison who was afterwards put into a coach the mob tried to upset the coach and throw down the horses but the driver laid about him with his whip and the constables with their staves and garrison was safely lodged in jail for protection for he had committed no offence before the mayor ascended the stairs to dismiss the ladies he had done a very remarkable deed he had given permission to two gentlemen to pull down and destroy the anti-slavery sign bearing the inscription anti-slavery office which had hung for two years as signs do hang before public offices in boston the plea of the mayor is that he hoped the rage of the mob would thus have appeased that is he gave them leave to break the laws in one way lest they should in another the citizens followed up this deed of the mayor with one no less remarkable they elected these two rioters members of the state legislature by a large majority within ten days i passed through the mob some time after it had begun to assemble i asked my fellow-passengers in the stage what it meant they supposed it was a busy foreign post day and that this occasioned an assemblage of gentlemen about the post office they pointed out to me that there were none but gentlemen we were passing through from salem fifteen miles north of boston to providence rhode island and were therefore uninformed of the events and expectations of the day on the morrow a visitor who arrived at providence from boston told us the story and i had thenceforth an excellent opportunity of hearing all the remarks that could be made by persons of all ways of thinking and feeling on this affair it excited much less attention than it deserved less than would be believed possible by those at a distance who think more seriously of persecution for opinion and less tenderly of slavery than a great many of the citizens of boston 
to many in the city of boston the story i have told would be news and to yet more in the country who know that some trouble was caused by abolition meetings in the city but who are not aware that their own will embodied in the laws was overborne to gratify the mercenary interests of a few and the political fears of a few more the first person with whom i conversed about this riot was the president of a university we were perfectly agreed as to the causes and character of the outrage this gentleman went over to boston for a day or two and when he returned i saw him again he said he was happy to tell me that we had been needlessly making ourselves uneasy about the affair that there had been no mob the persons assembled having been all gentlemen an eminent lawyer of boston was one of the next to speak upon it oh there was no mob he said he i was there myself and saw they were all gentlemen they were all in fine broadcloth not the less a mob for that said i why they protected garrison he received no harm they protected garrison from whom or what oh they would not really hurt him they only wanted to show that they would not have such a person live among them why should he not live among them is he guilty under any law he is an insufferable person to them so you may be to-morrow if you can catch garrison breaking the laws punish him under the laws if you cannot he has as much right to live where he pleases as you two law pupils of this gentleman presently entered one approved of all that had been done and praised the spirit of the gentleman in boston i asked whether they had not broken the law yes i asked him if he knew what the law was yes but it could not be always kept if a man was caught in a house setting it on fire the owner might shoot him and garrison was such an incendiary i asked him for proof he had nothing but hearsay to give the case as i told him came to this a says garrison is an incendiary b says he is not a proceeds on his own opinion to break the law lest garrison should do so the other pupil told me of the sorrow of heart with which he saw the law the life of the republic set at naught by those who should best understand its nature and value he saw that the time was come for the true men of the republic to oppose a bold front to the insolence of the rich and the powerful who were bearing down the liberties of the people for a matter of opinion the young men he saw must brace themselves up against the tyranny of the moneyed mob and defend the law or the liberties of the country were gone i afterwards found many such among the young men of the wealthier classes if they keep their convictions they and their city are safe no prosecutions followed i asked a lawyer an abolitionist why he said there would be difficulty in getting a verdict and if it was obtained the punishment would be merely a fine which would be paid on the spot and the triumph would remain with the aggressors this seemed to me no good reason i asked an eminent judge the same question and whether there was not a public prosecutor who might prosecute for breach of the peace if the abolitionists would not for the assault on garrison he said it might be done but he had given his advice against it why the feeling was so strong against the abolitionists 
the rioters were so respectable in the city it was better to let the whole affair pass over without notice end of section sixty one this recording is in the public domain